Welcome to the Voke Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Voke Podcast. We are joined with Ronald, Eric Stark, a new member of the team, myself, and a special guest for this episode who is none other than John St. John, famous for the voice of Duke Nukem and many others. The name or am I infamous for it? <laughs> That's true. You're you're kind of infamous, but you're also very much beloved in the video game voice acting community. But um, you see, the name John St. John is synonymous with the pinnacle of legendary voice acting. You may have heard his voice or his name at least once before. But before we dive right in and get right into it, we have a brand new member of the team who will be joining us on the Vogue podcast. Flash, say hello, Flash. Hello, it is me, Flash. That is my online handle. My real name is Bojidar Tsekov, which is a little bit hard. So if yeah, you Flash want- Flash is easier. Flash, Flash is definitely easier. If you want, you can try Flash. If you want, you can shorten it to Boji. Well, whatever works. Um, can, I, can I ask you a question? Yes. Is it Flash because you're fast or because you like to show off? <laughs> A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, you know. <laughs> but, right um, but yeah, I basically work on a couple of projects as a voice actor and a level designer with these lovely people. And one day they invited me to join their podcast and the cool. rest is history. And here I am. So glad to be here. Cool. Great. With that settled, let's dive right in. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much. Okay, so first, uh, uh, I really want to congratulate you to your 60th birthday, because it's really an achievement for you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, knowing the lifestyle I've led over the years, being hitting 60 was uh, quite an accomplishment for me. I'm glad to still be here. I, I like waking up every morning still. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. Like, I it's never imagined myself to reach have. 20, and here, here you are. <laughs> It's a valuable quality. Okay. You know, it's nice to wake up every morning, <laughs> especially, especially in these times. How are you doing with uh, COVID? Um, I'm uh, safely in my home. I don't leave uh, oh. unless I do some like uh, late night grocery shopping around midnight or 1 a.m. I like to right. go late when there's nobody in the, the joint. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, other than uh, road trips out to the desert to fly my drone, I'm not getting around humans at all. Quite frankly, I don't like people. I get along better with animals. Oh, so man. it's all working oh, out pretty good for me. <laughs> and man, man after my own heart. What's your mm. uh, favorite animal? <laughs> uh, dogs. I love dogs. I've, I've been a dog guy my whole life. And uh, someday soon, once I move again, I'm going to have myself a tiny, tiny little dog, uh, probably like a Shih Tzu or something. And I'm going to name it Shart. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but that's very poignant because Sam just went to go get exactly that. Did you find yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, my dog, I, my dog's on the couch. I don't want to force her to go anywhere. Oh, but fair enough. Uh, her name's Kira, by the way. She's a small little Pomeranian uh, gift from God. <laughs> oh, she's like a little dust mop. She's like a little, yeah. I mean, you know, every time she comes and like, you know, just comes by my leg, I just feel like I'm getting Swiffer dusted. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Let's stick up her ass and you can clean the floors with her. <laughs> <laughs> Doubles as a dog and a kitchen appliance. There you yeah. go. Yes. Well, let's get okay. into the first question, shall we? So the first question, of course, is what got you into voice <laughs> acting? What led to your voice acting career? 
A uh, 45-year radio broadcast career led to it. I was uh, um, an on-air personality doing morning drive or afternoon shows for many, many years. And in between those jobs, I would be a production director for radio stations. You know, the guy who's responsible for producing and voicing all of the commercials on any particular set of radio stations. So I had a lot of uh, pre-training before I moved into the voice acting area back in 1995. I see. Yeah, we have a lot of questions regarding your uh, radio career as well. Wanted to. I have a lot of answers, so this will work out yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, Ronald, would you like to ask the second question regarding uh, the DJing? Sure. Actually? Yes. Uh, so, can you tell us about the history of your golden days of DJing? Wow. Um, it, that was so much fun back in the day when radio broadcast was a good career opportunity back before it turned into the crap it is today. But I started out at 14 years old in 1975 in a little town in North Carolina where they were willing to have anybody off the street come up and knock on the door and say, hey, I want to be a DJ. And uh, I was put on the air. Uh, the first day I went down to say hello to the program director, he hired me on the spot and put me on weekends. And uh, I did a couple of weekend shifts, and then they asked me if I'd do full-time Monday through Friday. So I had to ask my parents, because I'm in eighth grade in junior high school at this point. And, and they said, okay, if you can keep your grades up, here's what we'll do. Your father can drive you to work after dinner every night, because my shift started at 7 p.m., 7 to midnight, when I'd sign the station off. And then your brother, my oldest brother, who rest in peace, who passed away a few years ago, he would pick me up at midnight when I'd sign the station off at night. And so I did this job at a little station in, in North Carolina for about a year when a brand new big FM 100,000 watt station came to Eastern North Carolina and uh, who, their program director had heard me on the air in Jacksonville where I was and, and made me an offer to go there. And then my radio career just took off from there. So I've seen America on the radio plan. I've lived everywhere, all up and down the East Coast down south, up in New England, Cape Cod, and then I moved out west, and I've been in Phoenix, Los Angeles, San Diego, just all over the place, and uh, it was a good 45-year career for me. Yeah, it's really awesome to hear that you travel a lot. We also um, uh, would like to ask you um, more about, like, you know, your, your traveling and the stuff that you've done as well, even abroad. You know, I got lucky as a, um, but, as a kid. Uh, I, I was an Air Force brat. So um, from the time I was six until I was nine years old, I lived in Europe. Um, my dad was in the Air Force and we were stationed in the Netherlands. So I grew up learning how to uh, uh, speak uh, the naughty uh, Dutch words. <laughs> the Dutch kids all wanted to know the, the naughty American words and the American kids all wanted to know the naughty Dutch words. So I don't sprack into Deutsch so much anymore. Um, but I do still remember all of the naughty things that I learned in <laughs> Dutch. Um, so a little bit of it stuck with me. So as a child, uh, I, I was well-traveled. My, my family used to uh, travel coast to coast in, in a Rambler station wagon. And, and we'd go on uh, vacations to places like Bass Lake in California. And we'd go to Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico and just all over the place. And um, about the time I was, uh, when we came back from Europe, about the time I was 12 years old, we moved from Southern California to North Carolina, which was fortuitous because uh, just two years later, that's when my radio career began, which I don't think it could have happened out here in California. Growing up in the LA area, my chances at 14 years old of getting on the radio were slim and none, but in a small town in North Carolina, it worked out quite fine. 
Yeah, it's awesome. actually really incredible mm -hmm. to hear about how so many tiny circumstances like that situation and then your parents letting you and like being understandable about it and all that going into the jump star. Like. So, so yeah, many you know, little circumstances. Hindsight, when you look back at all the things that happen in your, in your life, when they happen and often they're terrible things that happen, it doesn't make any sense and you can't make any reason of why this stuff is happening. But when you look back at it, this terrible thing had to happen for this great thing to come from it. So, you know, everything I think happens for a reason. There's a lot of fate in life. I don't think, uh, I don't think our lives are totally random. I think somehow it's mm -hmm. the universe has prescripted some of it. Somebody's messing with us. Somebody's gotta be. Somebody's yeah. <laughs> the, there is an old saying about how every decision you made, whether that's intentional or unintentional led you to this specific moment. Like there's right. oh, a lot to be looked into there. It's important to know that, you know, everything that you are meant for comes to you. Mm. And, you know, it kind of gives you that sense of peace in a way, which is very nice to have. Yeah, it's good to have faith, too, though. Um, I'll, I'll be right up front with you. I'm not religious. In fact, I'm atheist. But mm. having faith is an important thing. And I understand why people have religion, uh, because it, it affords them the opportunity to have faith in their God, their Jesus, whatever you want to call it. Right. But, but just having faith means that you can live a less stressed life knowing that things are going to work out somehow. You don't have to stress about it too much. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. I guess I've been, I had the exact same philosophy. I just never thought about it that way. I just replaced the word faith with the word hope. Like you always have to have mm -hmm. the hope that all will be well. And yes. it really, it really takes a burden off of you when you just look at things like, like no matter what happens, like there's still, it could still be salvaged. Yes. Good could point. Something out there. <laughs> yeah. So we have a question about, um, you know, the, the question was, did you start DJing in North Carolina? And the answer is yes. But did you ever branch out um, your DJ career in other radio stations as you were hired as a production director in other cities and states? Oh, yeah. All, all over the country, as I mentioned. Heck, I have uh, the last time I looked at my radio resume, which was, oh, Lord, 20 years ago. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I stopped making resumes because they were unnecessary. Air checks were what got you a job at another radio station. You know, right. it's a sample of how you sound on the air. But the last time I actually found a, a Word doc in my computer of, of a resume that I'd put together, there were 30 plus radio stations listed on oh. it. So, yeah, I, I, of course, I was fired many times in the radio industry because when I was young and stupid and lived in the Bible Belt of Virginia and North Carolina, I would say things on the air that I thought were clever, but they got me fired. Like oh. uh, playing uh, Come Together by the Beatles and going, FM 99, the Beatles with Come Together, which is a good trick if you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't play well in the Bible Belt, and I got fired for that. Yeah. Um, but, you know. but I think it was worth it in the end. Yeah. I thought so too. I thought I was being so funny and that I thought my blue humor would go over kids' heads and adults would appreciate it. No, adults saw me as the kid who was trying to be obnoxious on the air. So Ooh. at least a dozen times I lost my job for something I said on the I, air. But, I love that. but you know what? I, I was good. I was really good. So I'd always end up with another job within two days. I was never unemployed for long. Amazing. Oh, I see. It must have felt really bad to just get fired because you thought something was funny. You know, oh, must... the first time I cried, I'm sure I cried the oh, first you time. Cried? Maybe the first or second time I got fired for that, I cried. But then after that, I went, ah, 
fuck them. I, you know, they got no sense of humor. They don't know talent if it walk up and spit in their face. <laughs> Honestly, uh, I think it worked out well because you just got the firing bandaid ripped off so you could just get acclimated to it so you could do whatever. Like That sounds like a perfect exactly, deal Exactly. And you know, this was, I was doing all this stuff before Howard Stern was ever a name anybody knew. Yeah. And, and for a very short while, I worked with Howard Stern, a very short, tiny time. What, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, there's only a little bit to tell. Uh, the first station that syndicated Howard's show out of New York, he was on in New York. Uh, uh, I right. was on WYSP in Philadelphia, and we were the first radio station to, to pick up his show and carry it in Philly. And so he came down to Philly for about a week, week and a half or so, and he was doing his broadcast from our studios, and we held a mock funeral for John DeBella, who was the morning guy at another station, when Howard... When, when we beat him with Howard on our air, you know, in the ratings. And and right. so for that week that I worked with Howard and I ran the board for him and I kind of produced for him, I was like a gopher, really. And I was, you know, 20, 25, 26 years old, something like that uh, at the time. So I was young and gung-ho and anything you want, Mr. Stern. But as it turns out, Howard, uh, everything you hear on the air from him is is a show. Uh, he's a really super nice down to earth guy. You wouldn't believe who he really is after hearing him, you know, talking about skull fucking Sally Jesse Raphael and lesbian dilatate and all that stuff. You know, he, he's not that guy. He's just being outrageous to get ratings and it worked quite well. It's nice to know like in depth about that side of him, you know, aside from, you know, the stuff that he says like that. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs a little bit of humanity. <laughs> Indeed. Exactly. Eric, do you want to watch um, ask the fourth question? Any advice? Any advice for the uh, young disc jockeys out there listening? Um, you want me to ask the next question? Yeah. Well, I just asked it. So, is, do you actually have any <laughs> advice for any of the disc jockeys out there, the young ones? You I know, would be. Myself? I would be happy to take a question from Eric. Chime in, Eric. Okay. Eric, do it, do it. Do I it. I'll, I'll ask actually two, um, or yes. actually no, that's one. Uh, any advice for young disc jockeys out there for like, you know, if they want to like get us like a foot in the door in the industry or... Um, DJs as in radio broadcasting, not... <laughs> right? Is, uh, is that what we're asking, Sam? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like even for me, like my... <laughs> I, I do a lot of disc jockeying jockeying you know whatever but like you know I, I just wanted to ask you know if there's any advice from a disc jockey legend oh uh as far as broadcast radio it's not a career opportunity anymore uh it is not a good career path do not go to the cbs school of radio broadcasting <laughs> or whatever do not seek a job in radio unless you want to be in management or you want to be in sales because that's where the money is because broadcast radio today doesn't pay talent anything. That's why radio stations sound so awful and suck so bad today because they did away with talent in the 90s and into the early 2000s when corporations came in and bought up all the stations like that terrible uh, company Clear Channel that changed their name to iHeart so you wouldn't hate them anymore. Well, guess what? I still well. hate them. Uh, and then there's Entercom and Viacom and all those big cumulus, all those big major radio corporations who uh, pretty much use a, 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 a cookie cutter across the country. You'll notice no matter what city you go to, radio all sounds the same and it all sounds like shit. And there's very little good talent on the air anymore. And the reason for that is 
they cut their budget. They, they bought so many stations, they had no money left to pay anybody. And the first place they decided to cut budget was in the talent area. So now you have uh, DJs who are voice tracking. That means recording all of the tracks for 15, 16 stations across the country. And they don't even get benefits because they're contractors. So there, there's no health benefits. There's no good pay. The unions were run out of town by corporate radio. It's just a shit place to be. And it's not a career opportunity unless you want to be a salesperson and sell ads and, <laughs> and, and add to how shitty radio is. Because I don't know about where you live, but turn on any radio station in, in Southern California and you'll hear commercial breaks that run nine and 10 minutes long. It's ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. something any of us want to do. No. So, no. so long story short, if you want to invest in a career in uh, radio, don't just don't or or wait five to ten years, because here's my prediction. And I'm pretty sure on this. Um, all of the major corporations, uh, radio broadcasting corporations are going to have a fire sale in the next five to ten years where they sell off everything because uh, it, it's uh, the business is dying slowly but surely. Do no. you listen to broadcast radio anymore when you've got? xm serious or you have your ipod or you have uh spotify soundify uh apple music whatever there's no need to listen to a radio station with some inane disc jockey going well 15 minutes after three o'clock let's check the traffic you know i don't need a traffic report i don't need a weather report i don't need all that extra bullshit just, just listen to the vogue podcast <laughs> uh, do a podcast there you go there you go yeah and the only difference between podcast and radio broadcast is podcasters still don't have a revenue stream yet. Unless your name is Adam Carolla. Adam was the first and the biggest and he's making a lot of money. But are you guys actually making money from your podcast yet? I'm, I'm guessing no. No, right? Yeah, we no. are doing it for fun. So, yeah. right. Well, no, you're doing it for the love of doing it, you know, yeah. because it, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're passionate about it. It's exactly. fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was a DJ on the radio, I loved it more than anything. It gets into your blood and you, you can't get it out of your system. But I eventually had to give it up because they just stopped paying and stopped treating me like talent and started treating me like crap. But you guys, you love what you do. Keep doing it. Hopefully, someday, fingers crossed, you'll, you'll have, uh, you know sponsors and you'll make money doing it yeah in merch mm -hmm. we're still we're, we're in the uh, developmental phases of folk <laughs> podcast merchandise mm -hmm. like, <laughs> yeah just don't give up it takes time yep yeah, yes. it's, it's just such a shame to hear how many beautiful things are destroyed by corporations just sucking all the soul out of it and just replacing that with here is the exact calculation will get us the most money out of this specific uh, industry. Right. The exact same thing is happening to the game industry right now, but uh, a lot slower, I guess. Yeah. So um, I guess you don't do any more radios these days. Uh, well, I am on the radio constantly. Uh, if you guys live in the United States, you hear me almost every day on the radio, but you don't know it because I still do commercials. Lots oh, and really? lots of commercials. Oh, dear. And that, that's how I make my living, really. There's not enough video game work to support mm -hmm. myself. Of course. So of course. The, the, the mainstay of my income is, uh, of course, radio and television advertising. So I still have mm -hmm. a foot in the door there, and I do. As a matter of fact, uh, that's that, that's why I have to uh, watch the time today because I have a scheduled session, recording session for um, mm -hmm. a big mattress company right oh, after this. Oh, oh, oh my goodness! We, we have no short. I'm helping people knows. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, good luck with that. Okay, let's continue. Um, how about you ask this question, Boshi? 
Uh, what, question number six? Yes. Uh, all right. So as far as we understand, you spend some time living in Australia. Uh, can you tell us about that pastime? Do you still live there? Did you enjoy it? What, what's that? About? Oh, no, I've never actually lived in Australia. Oh. I, I understand why, why you think that, because I have said many times uh, on Facebook and on, on social media that I would love to live in Australia. I spent some time there. Uh, I did uh, convention appearances and um, mm -hmm. Avcon out of Adelaide, Australia, the first one I went to, they were kind enough to put me up after the con for several days in Sydney. And so I got to explore Sydney and, and fell in love with the city and fell in love with Australians and their country, everything except all, of course, all the animals that want to kill you. Uh, <laughs> but but it, it's, it's wonderful. It's modern and clean and nice and the people are cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would love to move there if I could. Right now I'm trying to find out if I can get citizenship in New Zealand, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a good country to live in. Mm -hmm. Maybe like maybe first mm -hmm. or second to New Zealand. Yeah. But yeah, I thought you I thought you actually um lived there for a time because like you said, like you know, you post a lot about it on your social media and like throughout mm -hmm. the years I remember seeing that. So that's why Yeah, I have of... a lot of friends in Australia. Mm -hmm. So I, I poke oh. at them pretty often and, and it yeah. comes across like like I probably lived there at one time because I made so many mm -hmm. friends while I was there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um what other countries did you actually travel to? Like any interesting countries? Uh, only as a child, I was uh, in Europe and we went everywhere in Europe from Spain to England, Ireland, Germany, uh, Belgium, mm -hmm. France. Uh, oh, but oh. as a child, I, I hardly remember it. I remember the food being really good, but ah. uh, I don't remember much more at that age. You know, you, you, you lose a lot of those memories. Mm. Well, this next question is, is very interesting. So what is the favorite character that you voice? I, I'm I'm sure I know the answer for that. Yeah, <laughs> the king, baby. I, by by, by far. I, oh, it's got to be Duke. Got to be it, Duke. And secondly, would be uh, Postal Dude. He's not pictured oh. here, but mm -hmm. but but I'm representing Postal Dude by wearing his shirt. <laughs> mm. Well, which is of course the monkey with all the uh, things coming out, the straws coming out of his brain. Uh, yeah, and, and, a, and a joint in his mouth. I think that's a joint. <laughs> I, I thought the straws were doobies as well, actually. I'm not sure what they are. I think they're probes in his brain. I'm, I'm not clear on that. I'll have to ask uh, uh, Mike Jarrett about that. He's uh, mm -hmm. the fellow with running with scissors that hired me to be the mm -hmm. postal dude voice. You yeah. regret nothing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. So if you could no longer act, right, what would you want to do? Like if there was some magical event where you couldn't do that, what would you be doing? I would be uh, a musician, which I am. Uh, I sing, I play keyboards, I play drums, I play bass. Uh, I like to produce music. And uh, I just finished producing a jazz album recently for a, a group here in Southern California called Velvet Sushi. Uh, and it came out quite nice. Yeah. So uh, I, I would be uh, producing uh, and recording music, most likely. Do you have any, um, like, you know, music of your own that you're willing to, like, maybe link us? Uh, I have written a few things, though uh, those songs are, I mean, I still do stuff, but not original material. I do a lot of parodies mm. and cover stuff, <laughs> uh, or I, I, I've do, done a lot of jingles, so uh, I could share jingles with you maybe, but as far as original compositions, 
it would take a lot of time to find that. I'd have to dig through a big closet under the stairs through <laughs> DAT tapes and recordable CDs and cassettes to actually find them because the uh, the two inch reels, you know, big uh, multi track reels, twenty four track tapes I used to use, those are all gone. You know, they only last so many years before the oxide, mm. you know, g- falls off the tape or whatever, and they're destroyed. So I don't have any. Uh, any archives of my original music work anymore. It's a shame. It's something that I hadn't considered over the years that I would need to digitize and hold on to uh, because I, I didn't think looking back that it was that important. Now, of course, I wish I had catch, captured all of that stuff digitally and, and mixed it down, but you know, nothing I can share anymore, unfortunately. Mm, I see. There, there, there were parody songs, by the way, um, since we're, we're in, in this topic of music. Um, we all know who Weird Al Yankovic yes. is. Oh, yes. Okay. So the same time, yeah, the same time Weird Al, Weird Al got his start, I was already doing parody songs, and I'd been on the Dr. Demento show a few times. When, when um, Weird Al wanted to do his first uh, concert appearance, he, it was on Cape Cod where I was a DJ, and I met him, introduced him, at the show that we sponsored, and uh, I would, I'm not, I'll never say we're friends, we're, we were acquaintances, but we're now, and I got to hang out for a little while, and he, he inspired me, but I had to produce all of my own music with MIDI uh, gear that was available back in the 80s, right, so I, I'm multi-track recording all of my stuff and mixing and all that. Uh, Weird Al, on the other hand, had uh, Rick Derringer, who was famous for the song Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, and uh, Rick Derringer is quite a producer. So uh, Weird Al had uh, uh, Rick Derringer producing his stuff. So like when he did Eat It instead of Beat It, it sounded just (laughs) like the original, and it was all done in Hollywood and L.A. in recording (laughs) studios in a professional Uh manner. All of my stuff was produced at a radio station. So Weird Al took it to another level, and his writing is so good. He's so (laughs) creative that uh, he just blew my doors off, and I went, okay, that's not my thing anymore. (laughs) Can't compete with that. And I got out of it and, and just went back to being uh, DJ. My man single-handedly ended a potential career there. <laughs> no, I'm so poker. glad that he did what he did because I love Weird Al's work. He is one yeah. of the most creative guys I've ever known. And that, that I share that common background with him just makes me love him even more. Yeah. <laughs> we all love him yeah. here on the, the, the man's a treasure after all. He is. Uh, he is indeed. Should, yes. I, should I go with the next question? Definitely. Sure. Right. Ahead. So... As as we've probably noticed by now, you have voiced a lot of characters in your time as a voice actor. Um, mm-hmm. Have any lines uh, been improvised? And if you actually have one, like, do you, do you have a favorite improvised line that you managed to do that stuck with you that's really famous for one of the characters you've done? Uh, for, for Duke, actually, I keep pointing the wrong way, Duke. Um, and, and it wasn't uh, so much my, my line. I, I, I tend to not ad lib too much. They, the, uh, the writers, the script writers for these games prefer that you stay on task, right? And d- don't change the context, blah, 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 blah. But in recording Duke Nukem Forever mm-hmm. in uh, 2010, I think was when we did that, um, there was a line where Duke says, um, um, Oh yeah, what do you something something you douchebag right? And my son, who was sixteen at the time, was in the next room over, and he heard me recording. And he comes over and he knocks on the door and he goes, "Hey, um, are you doing Duke Nukem stuff?" And I went, "Yeah." He goes, "I heard you say douchebag. Um, we don't use that term anymore." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "We we use the term douche nozzle." And I, what? what? 
He said, yeah, that's the, that's the dirtier part of the whole douche system. I, I and, and I laughed at it. And I said, oh, I'm going to give them an alternate take. And I called somebody a douche nozzle in the Duke Nukem Forever game. And they used it somewhere. Oh. So uh, that was pretty much the only ad lib that uh, I did for the Duke games. I, I tend to stick to the script. I might change a word mm -hmm. here or there, but I, I never change the context. Yes. Uh, but I think douche nozzle is an interesting... Uh, interesting I I, i've definitely heard that. that plenty of times probably from duke well, you have. right why did you ever thought that duke would become such a huge pop culture icon you know i i didn't know duke was anything for the first probably eight years the duke was a thing uh when when 3d came out in 1996 uh my my uh oldest brother who i mentioned earlier has passed away he and i used to play uh duke match games on online through the modem remember the old dial-up modem shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we get disconnected every 10 minutes or so and he was oh, in virginia i was here in california but we used to play the game all the time and and we enjoyed it but i didn't know there was any following at all i didn't know anybody knew the game it was just another video game as far as i was concerned until uh 2000 three or four when i got uh, a phone call out of the blue from uh, a fella who ran an, uh, a, a convention and was asking if i'd be interested in making an appearance and i said why would you want me to appear he goes because you're duke nukem man <laughs> and i went yeah and? and he goes god man duke nukem is huge and so i think it was that evening after i got off the phone with this guy i went on and i googled duke nukem and my face shows up and i went holy shit, somebody put my picture on there with Duke Nukem. And I start reading and he's got a huge following. And after I made that first convention appearance, then it was one after another after another when people found out that I was doing convention appearances, um, all of the con chairs, all the con organizers started asking me if I'd come and appear. So now I've been all around the world doing convention appearances mainly because of Duke Nukem. And um, so no, initially I didn't know it was anything. I had no idea until that first convention appearance huh. <laughs> you were in disbelief when people are telling you over the phone <laughs> yeah i didn't know why they wanted me i was happy you know they pay me and they fly me first class to go to these conventions and i'm gonna take it yeah well <laughs> because of course i get all the frequent flyer miles it's not like <laughs> it's not like it's not like you were like going up to people saying i'm duke nukem and like you just you don't, it's not like you were going to people and just saying, hey, I did this. I mean, you didn't even know. No, I'm, I, I, in fact, I'm the last person to do that. I don't tell people when I'm introduced, oh, and I'm the voice of Duke Duke. No, I'm a producer, voice actor, director. Exactly. Uh, but my friends, <laughs> on the other hand, my best friend, Art, for instance, anytime I'm introduced to anybody, he goes, this is my friend, John. He's Duke Nukem. And, and, you know, and, and it's funny, too, because most men will go, wow, cool, you're Duke. And I'll go, yeah, I've got balls to see you. And they get all fanboy. But, but he, thinks, he thinks women give a shit about Duke. And I'll go, my buddy John here is the voice of Duke Nukem. And women go, Duke what? Who? what? They haven't a clue. Nah. Which is a shame. Yeah. I might get laid more often. If it, <laughs> um, if, it was, if it was a movie, I guess, you know, if it was more of like a movie, it was in a show or more media <sighs> there's still that possibility i guess with duke nukem the well, movie definitely 
there oh yeah oh there's been a lot of talk about it and and uh the, they've been working on a script for years oh. um and you probably were going to ask at some point how do you feel about john cena being duke nukem they did talk to john cena about doing it but that plan was scratched a while back um oh, wow. personally I, I, I don't want to see a live action Duke Nukem film because CG today is so good that they could do an R-rated CG Duke Nukem movie. So he could be obnoxious, obscene, use all that filthy motherfucking language that he should be using. Um, he can he can literally rip somebody's head off and shit down their neck because it's CG. <laughs> I try doing that in live action, right? And that would make for a great film, in my opinion. Yeah. There's this Definitely. there's this show called Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix, and I'm a pretty big fan of it. But the point is, is that there's this there's this one episode. There's like a few episodes where it's CG, but it looks so realistic. And in this particular episode, it's like the first one. It is so unbelievably gory and disgusting and gross that I had to look away from the screen. Like it you? is like <laughs> this man, this man this right man, here. Yeah, I mean, right here. You, you know, had like, to look away from it. I mean, for like, it was, it got so bad. Like, imagine, like, what happened? Like, yeah, it was just this, <laughs> this person's head just getting cracked open like a watermelon. It was, <laughs> I mean, for me, I mean, I, I consider myself a little bit of a sensitive guy when it comes to this. I mean, Duke Nukem, right? I mean, that he's just awesome. His voice is great. But when it, when it comes to smashing someone's head open like a coconut, that's, that's where I kind of draw the line to look and look read a book or something did you have any problems with uh deadpool or deadpool 2 stuff like that was fine i'm pretty sure <laughs> well they did that they did that i mean there were heads that were cracked open uh, though though they're very fast yeah. it happens real quick yeah no but like the thing about this one is it was slow grimy and like <laughs> it was like they were going right in there they were putting their Ooh. grimy hands right into showing you like this gross head just getting freaking destroyed. Yeah. Like the, wow. the makeup the department probably had a field day with that one. If it was Graphic like R-rated, yeah, I mean it was it was like above M, <laughs> over the top, over the top. Uh, yeah, I don't okay. know if gratuitous violence, way over the top gore like that is necessary. Yeah, and, honestly, I know. think a Duke Nukem movie would be more akin to Sausage Party if you've heard of that one. Yes. As, as a matter of fact, I was pissed off when Sausage Party came out because it was the first R-rated CG movie. And I oh. wanted Duke Nukem to be the first R-rated CG movie. So they got beat to the punch yeah. already. Come on, Gearbox. <laughs> shit or get off the pot. Get your shit together. Uh, Come on, Gearbox. Yes. Box. So uh, uh, are there any games where you didn't have to record new lines, but the old were reused? Are you oh yeah that happened in all of the early duke nukem uh, stuff i mean i did uh i did the uh, original duke 3d session and then those voice files were used in time to kill zero hour manhattan project all of those games used the same stuff so you know and, and here's the funny thing too here here's how the video game industry has evolved over the years Back in 1995, when I recorded Duke Nukem 3D, I think I probably made $800 recording all those lines. That's it. Today, when, uh, or, or let's go back to Duke Nukem Forever, when they called me and said, hey, hell froze over. We're going to record this game after all. Uh, what do you want? I said, I want X. And it was a goodly amount. And they went, okay. 
And uh, video games now are uh, uh, union scale. Most of them are union, the, the AAA games. So for instance, Star Trek Online is a game where I've done, I don't know, 20, 30 character voices for that game. And it's union scale. So in 18 minutes of recording, I can, doing three or four voices, I can get a full day uh, SAG-AFTRA pay. Wow. So I'm, wow. I'm not going to tell you what that amount is because for 18 minutes of work, you'll hate me for what I made for it. Whoa. But today, it's much better now that we're unionized. Go unions! Yes, I, I think um, unions are the future. Back in the day. Um, I have a question. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is actually regarding Duke Nukem Forever. I don't know if you know this, but uh, well, you're well aware that the game had like a track record of being in development hell and being passed to like different developers and different game studios. Mm -hmm. um, is there like a, any interesting stories about that? Like, did they call you in when initially it was first being developed in the beginning of the decade? I believe it was the beginning of 2000s. And then they kind of scrapped it, gave it to someone else, and then they did their own thing. Or... I, I, I was like, a, I, I knew nothing at all. I didn't even know they were making another Duke game. I didn't follow gaming. You know, I didn't read PC Gamer magazine or any of that back in the day. Um, because I, though I would play some games, I'm not a gamer. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I spent most of my time doing radio and voice acting and, and trying to find more work. Uh, I didn't devote much time to the game industry. So I had no, no idea, except that I think around... 2002 or three, I knew that there was something about Duke Nukem Forever that was supposed to happen, but I never heard a word until 2010 when they actually called me and said, hey, guess what? Hell's frozen over and we need you to record it. And that was the first I, I knew of anything new Duke ever coming along. So they, they probably just were reusing old lines as placeholders till they had something solid to bring you in for. Or, or what they call a scratch track, where they have somebody on staff who talks like this <laughs> and would put the lines in until, you know, I come along. But, you, but, but you know, in, in, in video games, it's it's done the opposite of animation, for instance. In animation, all the recordings, all the voice work is done first, and then they animate to, the, to you know, make the lip, lip sync. Work. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, and, and in video games, it's not done like that. The voice is the last thing done, and it's probably for the... <laughs> for the best for the developers because i mean sure we have ndas but voice actors we talk we got big mouths they don't want us talking about any games we're involved in because everything's so secretive in the video game industry mm -hmm. right so um it, it works out to to their advantage that we don't record until the last like two or three months before the game's released before we even do the voiceover stuff and, and then they make the character lip flap work at that point. You know, they've animated everything in the game in advance. Only the mouth is left. Yeah. And so that, that's mm -hmm. why the, the voice work is, is last in video yes. games. And, and it does, you know, it, it's, it's to, to their advantage, I think. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So have you ever heard someone nail the Duke's voice? There is a guy at uh, Lazy Gamer Reviews. I forget his name. Um, oh, I know he's that. The, yeah, but he's the closest thing to my voice I've heard. There are a whole bunch of people. I don't know if you guys are aware. I don't even have a TikTok account. No, but apparently I, I'm, I'm very famous. Neither oh. do I. I, apparently I'm very famous on TikTok right now because uh. of all the Duke uh, um, coronavirus the things that I recorded. People are now lip syncing themselves doing all of my, <laughs> my Duke pickup lines for the COVID uh, times. Uh. 
and are they are getting famous on my creativity, which I don't care mm-hmm. for. There's a there's a fellow on Twitter who has a gigantic following, bigger than mine, who does a bad impression of me, it- but he does silly lines by Duke Nukem, and, and it's made him famous. And I don't think he sounds like me. He just does this. Everybody does this, exactly. right? I know who Doesn't you're talking sound- about. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I don't know how to take that. I mean, people tell me, oh, you should be flattered by that kind of thing. But uh, they're getting famous on my creative. And I, yeah. kinda, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to feel about it yet. I, I'm, I'm not angry. I just, I don't get it. it it's like, and you guys are going to hate me for this. All of your, your viewers are going to hate me too for this. But like uh, playthrough where you watch other people play video games on the internet. I don't understand that for one second how what is your life like that it's entertaining for you to watch somebody else play a fucking video game play it yourself oh i mean i could give you i could give you a reason for it if you want Um, in it for the commentary mainly i'm just (laughs) i'm just being obnoxious silly right now i get it i'm just being an asshole (laughs) could you rate sam's impression of the duke let's hear it okay Short, short do, do you want me to do life. a line and then and then you mimic yeah sure yeah i would love to hear the man himself first okay here we go do this one your face your ass what's the difference <laughs> okay i'm gonna have to try to say that without me laughing <laughs> funny line your face your ass what's the difference <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not bad I mean, like, I want to like get your feedback on it, and like, I want to like you know perfect it, and like you know, I don't oh. not like. And, okay, you know, so and- the the first thing is, um, um, back when we did Duke 3D, all of those sessions were directed, or that session I should say was directed, right. and the director made me keep my teeth clenched together, and okay. everything sounded so everything was kind of monotone and yeah. sounded like this. Your ass is right. Uh, yeah. until Duke Nukem Forever came along. And, and, and when that happened, they said, I said, who's going to direct the session? They said, you don't need to be directed. You've been Duke for 15 years. Just yeah. do what you do. And I'm like, that, that's nice of them uh, to say that. I may have been Duke yep. for 15 years, but I hadn't recorded anything in that time. But mm-hmm. I decided I'm not going to keep my teeth clenched like this. I'm going to give Duke more personality, right? And a little more inflection. Instead of everything being in this monotone voice, now he's going to be able to inflect a bit and have some emotion. So when you do your voice, don't just go, I'll kick your asses. And don't stretch the words out too long because that's right. not Duke. Duke is, I ought to kick your ass. Say that. Just go, I ought to kick your ass. I ought to kick your ass. Oh, okay, I, I, I did. That was pretty the- good. Do you guys hear it? That was yeah. pretty good. Pretty good. But, you know, the thing is, like, when it comes to the word ass, I always put uh-huh. emphasis on ass because it's just hilarious to me. But, like, so. Well, like, because I don't say ass either. I go, ass. Yeah, you say ass. ass. There's a yeah. weird affect to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, <laughs> right? So, so basically, how it works is, like, you know, I, I kind of just say it normally and not just put, like, kind of string out the words, like, I ought to kick your ass. Like, that, that was maybe. nice. that was good that was good thank you but you're not getting the job until i'm dead motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) oh i wouldn't want to take your job if it was i don't know i I, I, the last job on earth i i would i would i wouldn't have it any other way so let's just go quickly to the half-life series you you voice acted for a few characters in half-life um how did you felt when you got asked by valve to participate in the half-life series 
I was honored initially because um, uh, Valve has a very good reputation um, for uh, the quality of their games and and for the way they treat the voice actors. In fact, uh, two of my dear friends who are voice actors, John Patrick Lowry and his wife, Ellen McLean, who's GLaDOS. I'm sure you know who GLaDOS mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah, they live in Seattle. Adel, and they, they practically live at Valve. They're in there all the time. And they had told me back when, hey, if Valve offers you something, man, take it. They're really good people. No matter what the pay is, just take it. So anyway, the pay was fine. And the beauty of Valve, and, and for a lot of the games I did, because of Duke Nukem, um, th th there's an up and a downside. First of all, I was pigeonholed for a long time that uh, other games wouldn't, uh, developers wouldn't hire me because they didn't want me to do Duke Nukem. Well, they thought that was the, I was a one-trick pony. That was the only voice I had. Come on, guys. So uh, Valve took a chance. And uh, when, when they hired me, like a lot of other companies did, it was because I was Duke, because they grew up playing Duke Nukem. And these kids who were, you know, 18, 19 when Duke came out, who are now in their 30s and they're game developers, they're fanboys. And they just wanted to meet me and drink with me because I have a reputation for drinking tequila, right? So the guys at Valve, I'm sure they uh, they wanted me up there specifically so we could hang out and party too because where I could have recorded in a studio, in my studio or in a studio in Los Angeles, they insisted on flying me to Seattle when I recorded for them uh, just so we could all hang out for the weekend and party and drink and, and, and of course, record <laughs> for the game. Yeah. So that that's basically how that worked out. It was great. Good relationship. I'm sure you remember your work in, uh, in of course, with Gearbox, um, Opposing Force and Blue Shift. Um, mm -hmm. So what directions did you get while voicing the HECU and the military police? Um, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Uh, and actually, um, yeah, I'm the uh, the training. Uh, wait a minute. Which game? Are, which which game did you? Probably opposing opposing force. Yes, opposing oh Half Life, the, the Half Life the, game. Half Life, yes, Half -Life. One, the, yes, yes. The, the short the expansion for Half Life One. Yes, yes. Yeah. I should have said Half Life, but you know Half Life mm -hmm. opposing force. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm trying. I, was I Doctor Rosenberg? In you were. Yes, yeah. you were also. But you also played some soldiers there. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are just uh, additional voices. So I, I don't really have a, a great memory of that. Just that I was a part mm -hmm. of it, and and fortunately it was a game that was big enough to have some notoriety. Um, but Counter Strike uh, Global Offensive, that's that's one that I really enjoy doing. If you don't mind me skipping ahead, oh, because, sure, sure, sure. go ahead. Because the director said, um, "You've seen Full Metal Jacket," and I went. Hell yeah, I've seen it, boy. I ought to come over to your house and fuck your sister. I like you, boy. And he goes, Arlie Ermey, that's exactly what we want. Can you do that? And so I did. And it was a great session. It was so much fun. And it was funny. And I was cracking them up because I'm going off all Ar Arlie Ermey style. And uh, then they, they had me do alternate takes. And they ended up using all the alternate takes for the game, which is a shame. It was more toned down. And it wasn't me doing my Arlie Ermey impression. It was kind of there. It was halfway between my natural voice and the Arlie Ermey mm -hmm. impression. But I wish they'd used the original takes. That would have been way better. <laughs> yes. In, in that time, did you end up actually playing Counter-Strike? Uh, no. I, I've played it a couple of times. Uh, the only thing you'll notice uh, in Counter-Strike of me doing is I'm the, uh, the uh, training instructor. Yeah. Now we're going to take some shots. Uh, I have lines like, well, you've proven you can take out cardboard targets. Now let's go out and shoot at some real human beings. 
So it was mm. like that that Southern gentleman kind of training yeah. instructor. That's all you hear of me in Counter Strike Global Offensive anymore. Yeah. Um, oh, the uh, the game that had uh, Dwight T. Barnes as the drill instructor. That's opposing yeah. force. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's opposing that's going force. back to oh. opposing force. That's half okay, thank you very much. I, I mm -hmm. confuse them. There's so many similar characters. Yeah, uh, yeah it's so, fun. Opposing Force was, in fact, another one where Arlie Ermey character voice was needed, but then they toned it way down after the fact because they thought it was just too intense and offensive, um, mm -hmm. offensive, I should say. Did I make that clear? <laughs> intense and offensive uh, to the sensibility of players, which, oh, of course, mm -hmm. today, not at all. I mean, the, the poor thing. Think of anymore. the children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So, um, do you still remember the voice of Dr. Rosenberg, perhaps? Uh, no. no. I, I haven't I played the game in so many years he, he, that I can't he was, remember. He was a little bit like your regular speaking voice, except every now and then you'd slightly dip into British accent territory. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Okay. Do you remember yeah, like... anything like that? Uh, mm. No. Oh, well. To well, be that's honest, fine. No. That's hey, remember, fine. I'm 60, okay? That, that's fair. That's my short-term memory sucks. It, it's so. fine. And I have a problem with my short-term memory. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot of stuff. I mean, especially Rosenberg. I mean, yeah, there's a lot like, of stuff. With, with somebody as an illustrious career as yours, it's easy to forget. Yeah, I mean, like, like, not, not to remember everything you've done. I was going to ask uh, about Sonic really quick. You were Big the Cat. Um, how were you approached that? And the okay, uh, so the big the cat story is Lonnie Manella who directed that, and she's also the one who cast me as Duke Nukem originally, the very first game I did. Um, she called me one afternoon during the week, and she goes, "Hey, we're recording a game this Saturday over in Kearney Mesa. We need you at the studio there." And I said, "Okay, great. Send me the sides for my audition." She goes, "Don't worry about that. We'll just we'll give you a part when you get there." And I'm like, what? Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I show up and my friend Ryan Drummond is in the studio recording the Sonic lines. And there's a bunch of other actors out in the hallway. When Lonnie comes out of the studio and she comes up to me, she shows me a picture of, Big where is he? This guy. Yeah. She goes, this is the character you're going to do. And I went, what the hell is that? She said, it's a big, fat, dumb cat. So do a dumb voice. Okay. So I get in the booth and just messing around, I went, Where's my froggy? You don't look so good, little buddy. And the Japanese director who's on the line from Tokyo goes, oh, that one, that's good. And I went, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I can do a better voice. No, 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 that one. And they ended up using that stupid voice. And then at convention appearances, uh, fans would go, um, uh, it's so weird that you're Duke and you're Big the Cat. Um, why don't you like Big the Cat? And I went, because the voice I did for him was so stupid. And so people assumed <laughs> that I hated the character. No, I hated the voice I did, not the character. <laughs> okay. Mm. So Dota 2, you've probably heard of it. You, uh, half the characters are in the background, yeah. Um, you, you said that yeah. you did some work with, uh, with CSGO. Uh, was the time you were contracted by Valve uh, to come to go actually work for them firstly with CSGO or was it Dota? Because Dota started development in 2009. So what, so what came first? Dota 2. Dota 2 was okay. first for me before uh, Counter-Strike. And then how was the experience? Like, because it's such a interesting, like different genre than what you're used to, because everybody, like you said, uh, oh, it's a Duke Nukem guy. He only does one voice. So how was it like to actually get approached by Valve and uh, actually have them? You're going to voice uh, a crazy cultist. You're going to voice a pirate. You're going to voice the void. You're going to voice a crazy man with an axe. So how was that? 
That was pretty cool, actually. And and uh, at this time, uh, studio technology, internet technology got so much better that they no longer flew me to Seattle to record. I recorded all of the uh, Dota 2 stuff at the Warner Brothers Studios in Hollywood, which you've seen on TV before the Animaniacs lived there in the tower. Um, but that, that was a, a great experience, too, because we dialed in these voices on the scene. They they knew which characters they wanted me to do. Uh, and I had seen artwork. And so we didn't dial the voices in until we got in the studio and they said, okay, we've got this Admiral Kunkka, right? Mm. Um, uh, do you have a voice for that? And I went, I can do the same voice that I did for King Varian Wren in the first World of Warcraft. And they went, what's that? So it was my stupid Patrick Stewart bad impression. <laughs> oh, well then do that. Hello, this is Admiral Kunkka. Uh, Mr. LaForge, take off that silly visor and engage. So I'm doing that voice. They went, oh, that's perfect. Okay. And then um, Bloodseeker. Yep. Um, for that one, they said he has a Hispanic heritage. Bloodseeker. He would talk like this of the flayed twins. And they went, oh, that's good. So you got it. And then um, Axe. I can yep. never decide which way I'm supposed to be pointing. Axe. Yeah, that, that way. Axe is Axe. Axe talks like this all the time. You know? And Enigma had so much uh, effect on it that anybody could have done the voice of Enigma. It has that re, uh, reverse feedback sound, well, like well, yeah, uh, the, Phil the, Collins the, in the air tonight. You know, anybody could have done that one. Well, the interesting thing about Enigma is if you actually dial back the sound effects, it actually sounds like Duke Nukem just being a bit more eerie. So <laughs> that's what I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the closest we'll get to Duke and Dota. Um, but exactly. to fin finish the Dota lightning round, uh, th this happened around 20, uh, 2010. A decade later, they ask you to come back to reprise Axe. Um, did they exactly explain to you what the situation was with Axe? Like why uh, you're revoicing the character? Like why why for some reason Axe has come back, but now he's a diaper baby? <laughs> no, they, they never explained it to me. In fact, they never used the, uh, the game title Dota 2 either. Uh, they always gave, and they still do this, all developers today when a voice actor has a, a, a game to do, they give it some crazy uh, nonsensical name. I was coming in to record the Madison Project, oh. right? And I'm like, what's that? And I get in the studio and I see a script that says Axe. I went, oh, I'm, I'm, this is Dota 2. They went, shh, don't say that. Don't say that. And so uh, Axe uh, had such a following that they decided at one point they wanted to give him his own spinoff game, which I, I guess did not happen. But there's there's a lot of downloadable content to Dota 2. So I still, to this day, go back to Warner Brothers and record from time to time. Uh, mm -hmm. They they did kind of give him his own spinoff game. It's called Artifact. It didn't do so well. It's one of Valve's lesser known projects. Mm. Um, That's too bad. Uh, unfortunately, but okay. they're trying to remake that. So... Uh, your role reprisals for that one are going to uh, st still get some use out of them. Hopefully, right. I hopefully own my own convention called King Con Cruise, mm -hmm. and it's a fan convention aboard a cruise ship, a Royal Caribbean cruise ship from Orlando, Florida to the Bahamas. Oh. I have oh. DC Douglas as a guest. I have Samantha Inouye Hart. I've got uh, Wes mm -hmm. Johnson. Uh, who's Shea Gorath, and he's the voice of the Washington Capitals. I have other celebrity voice actor guests who appear on my cruise every year, and you can come along too, four full nights for about 380 bucks, and that includes all of your food. So go to kingconcruise.com, and we had to push it off. It was scheduled for this coming March, our third year, but I decided because of the pandemic, it's not a good time to be aboard yeah. mm -hmm. a cruise ship. So it's now February yeah. 28th of 2022, so you have over a year 
to uh, figure out if you want to go or not and, and buy your badge and, and buy mm -hmm. your room and come party with me for a week. We'll go kayaking I... together and <laughs> snorkeling and all that stuff. Definitely. I am so excited. I live in Georgia. Okay. It's very possible for me. So I'm excellent. I'm from I, Chicago. So Chicago, you know, we okay. have so many people coming from Detroit and Washington, DC and Washington State. We got people from all over the country and Canada who come to my cruise every year. So hopefully you can too. And and so will your followers. Thanks for watching this crap. Now like the video and subscribe to the Vogue Podcast, you douche nozzle. <laughs>